On today's Blue Bay Insights podcast, I'm joined by Mark Stacey, Coco's Specialist and Senior Portfolio Manager on the Blue Bay Financial Capital Bond Strategy. Hi, Mark. Hello, Anna. Let's start with a term that's being referenced a lot at the moment, national champion banks. Can you explain what these are, how they influence the economy and their importance to investors? The national champions are the banks that represent a large and important market share, the lending which occurs in the economy. They are highly regulated and typically well-capitalized institutions. So in the UK, there'd be brands that we all know and see all over our high street, for example. And these institutions are incredibly important in providing funding, which keeps the real economy going. That's why regulators, central banks, and policymakers are also focused on supporting these institutions as they're the lifeline that will be needed to support the economy in the moment of crisis that we're experiencing. So as an example, banks provide around 80% of the lending to corporates and consumers in Europe. And so they're vital to companies who need working capital to be able to see them through this economic shock, which we're going through. So if these banks stop lending, then the economic fallout uh, would obviously be far more severe than than it potentially will be. Uh, And so that's why they're very important. In your view, will only the national champions likely make it through this crisis? Or are you finding other attractive bank holdings through bottom-up issuer selection? So without question, the economic shock that we're experiencing uh, is of a magnitude that we haven't seen before. And this shock is uh, equally being met with unprecedented policy response from central banks and governments on a scale we've, we've never seen before either. So the economic fallout should be contained to some extent, but it's fair to say that any sector or corporate that was teetering on the brink of default before the crisis is almost certainly not going to survive today. And so the dispersion between the haves and the have-nots within the banking sector will also be exacerbated to some extent as a result of what's happened. So our preference is therefore not to take too much outsized credit risk or even liquidity risk for that matter. Uh, Our preference is to stick to the institutions that will survive and will more likely benefit the most from the government and policy support. And these are the large national champions in each respective country. Banks were deemed villains following the global financial crisis in 2008, but could potentially prove heroes this time around. Could you explain why this is? There's no doubt that banks certainly were the villains. They were poorly managed, poorly regulated, and this manifested into over-levered and very risky institutions, which we all know ended in in tears. Uh, They were the source of the crisis back in 2008. But since then, regulators have spent the best part of a decade driving banks to have better liquidity, more capital, and engaging in less risky activities through greater capital charges being levered by regulators on on more risky activities. All of these changes have meant that that banks are in decent shape coming into this crisis, whereas large parts of the economy have spent the last few years of low interest rates and abundant liquidity making acquisitions or levering up their balance sheets. Banks have been doing the opposite. Uh, They've been deleveraging and shoring up capital. So banks are are, are not the problem this time. They're actually part of the solution uh, and are being used as a conduit for government policy to help boost the economy. Uh, Banks are being asked to make use of government guarantees and to lend to corporates that desperately need the the liquidity. So this time around, uh, they potentially are going to be the heroes uh, and not the villains. Turning to dividends. How long do you think the current dividend freeze will last? For investors, what are the potential implications and will 81 coupon payments be impacted? This is a good question uh, and it's a hard one to answer 
and will, to some extent, be dependent on how long and how deep this recession is. Certainly what we do know is that equity coupons are unlikely to be turned on for October 2020. But what has been clear is that the ECB has been very quick to differentiate between equity dividends and ATO1 coupons for banks, uh, which reinforces our confidence around the payment of these ATO1 coupons. Because it's worth noting that as a consequence of restricting dividends and share buybacks, ATO1 coupon suspension has become even less remote and unlikely as the capital buffers will be increased by $100 billion as a result of suspending the dividends. Uh, and this increases the headroom which issuers have before mechanical coupon restrictions could occur. Additionally, regulators also understand that unlike dividends, AT1 coupons are one, senior in the capital structure, and two, would represent a permanent loss of value for investors if they were turned off. And this is unlike dividends where the value is maintained within the bank uh, and can result in increased share price or, or larger dividends in the future. And, and I think regulators understand that and perhaps it will be less likely to then turn off the AT1 coupons. Also, just uh, the economics make less sense uh, by turning off AT1 coupons because the potential saving from turning off these coupons is relatively small. On average, uh, a bank would save 10 basis points in core equity tier one if they turned off the AT1 coupons. And this is in contrast to the 100 basis points of CE tier one that's retained, of capital that's retained in the bank by turning off dividend payouts and, and stopping share buybacks. Equally, I think the last thing to say is the capital buffers are before you have the mechanical turnoff of AT1 coupons is, is around about 500 billion euros. And so the regulator is, uh, is very keen to adhere to the rules in place. Uh, and then while we have these buffers in place, uh, we'll be hesitant, I think, to turn off AT1 coupons. Mark, your approach is always focused on fundamentals. How are things looking right now? So we're just coming to the end of, of Q1 results for banks. And as could be expected, provisioning has been increasing, particularly in the US, uh, where consumer lending through credit cards has, has been more prevalent. And so they've provisioned a lot more given the impact that the unemployment numbers are likely to have on, on consumers there. And it's fair to say that we're likely to see both non-performing loans and provisioning in increase in the coming quarters uh, for most banks, which uh, really is to be expected. And so for us, it's, it's really about trying to gauge which assets will be most affected by this crisis and how resilient balance sheets at each particular issuer that we invest in are likely to be. So while capital levels will certainly decrease, we're, we're definitely starting from a position of strength. Uh, and as per our stress testing of banks, uh, we can see that we have decent buffers that we can eat through before we start to run into, into any type of stress. Uh, so th there's no doubt that this economic shock will have an impact on the fundamentals and perhaps they will uh, start to deteriorate. But this is the case for almost all asset classes. Banks aren't immune, but the starting point is certainly very encouraging. And lastly, when we spoke back in February, investors were nervous that they'd missed the top of the market given everything that's happened, is now looking like a good entry point in your view? So risks are certainly elevated, uh, and there's no doubt that uncertainty is still high with respect to trying to predict how long this pandemic may last uh, and to even what extent economies have been damaged. Uh, that said, we do see a clear path for banks to be used as policy conduits in this crisis. They have significant standalone strength and valuations that we will sure look back on as uh, seeing as opportunities, particularly if you hold over the medium term. 
the obvious risks, I think, to this view are that the virus consequences last much longer than anyone expects, that the fallout of the economy is much larger than perhaps we fear, and there's a failure in the execution of the announced policies from the regulators and the central banks that I've mentioned. Markets will continue to be volatile from this point. However, we're growing in confidence that we're seeing policy response that should provide meaningful support for the banking sector and that valuations are reflective of recessionary impact from the COVID-19-induced lockdowns. So could we move lower in ATA1 from here? Absolutely. But when we survey the risk spectrum, we see the risk-adjusted returns versus many other asset classes as being very compelling. So scaling into what uh, are historically attractive levels makes sense to us. And if you look at what we have allocated to the strategy at Blue Bay in, in our multi-asset portfolios, it's around 10 to 15% as a guide. Uh, and so we think that that would make sense for investors' portfolios. Mark, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Anna. This podcast is issued in the United Kingdom by Blue Bay Asset Management, LLP which is authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority, registered with the US Securities and Exchange Commission and the US Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and is a member of the National Futures Association. This podcast may also be issued in the United States by Blue Bay Asset Management, LLC, which is registered with the SEC and the NFA. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Unless otherwise stated, all data has been sourced by Blue Bay. To the best of Blue Bay's knowledge and belief, this podcast is true and accurate at the date hereof. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. This podcast is intended for professional clients and eligible counterparties, as defined by the FCA only, and should not be relied upon by any other category of customer. Except where agreed explicitly in writing, Blue Bay does not provide investment or other advice, and nothing in this podcast constitutes any advice nor should be interpreted as such. No Blue Bay fund will be offered except for suitant and subject to the offering memorandum and subscription materials, the offering materials. If there is an inconsistency between this podcast and the offering materials for the Blue Bay fund, the provisions in the offering materials shall prevail. You should read the offering materials carefully before investing in any Blue Bay fund. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction and is for information purposes only. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay Asset Management LLP. Copyright 2020, Blue Bay. The investment manager, advisor and global distributor of the Blue Bay Funds is a wholly owned subsidiary of Royal Bank of Canada and the Blue Bay Funds may be considered to be related and or connected issuers to Royal Bank of Canada and its other affiliates. Registered trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. RBC Global Asset Management is a trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, registered office, 77 Grosvenor Street, London, W1K3JR, partnership registered in England and Wales, number OC370085. The term partner refers to a member of the LLP or a Blue Bay employee with equivalent standing. Details of membership of the Blue Bay Group and further important terms which this message is subject to can be obtained at www.bluebay.com. All rights reserved.